You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Psalms a bit more in terms of how we pray for the extension of God's kingdom. I don't think it is right for Christians to pray, um, you know, you don't like your next door neighbor. No, you're not praying that they be wiped out. But I think it is right that we pray that the forces of evil that do exist in this world, that God would blow them away. And look at what he says about them. They're like smoke. They're like wax melts before the fire. They're not strong, not in comparison with God. He then asks, may his people rejoice and be glad. May they be happy and joyful. I think this morning when we were talking about the difficulties and the troubles and, you know, when I said, quoted John Flavel, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. So the baby's born and you're saying, oh, you're going to have trouble. Um, you feel sometimes when you're saying something like that, it's like one of these um, grim fairy tales where the wicked witch pronounces a curse upon the child, you know, and so on. And people say, well, no, 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 we want blessing, we want blessing, we want blessing. Of course, there is trouble in this world. We are born into trouble. And Flavel went on to say about how uh, when we're born again, we're born again into trouble as well. We're, we're going to have trouble in this world. But that's not a negative message because I think maybe there is sometimes a, a tendency for people to say, well, gloom and doom, and that's just the way it is, and we've just got to suck it up. God wants his people to be a happy people, to be happy and joyful, and to rejoice. In Psalm 51, I just love the bit, give me back the joy I had. The question, where is your joy? Where's it all gone? We pray that God would blow away his enemies, but we pray that God would bring joy to his people. May they be happy and joyful. We want people to come into the fellowship here and to be aware of the joy and the presence of the Lord, just as, they, just as we are aware of the difficulties and the troubles that we face. We are a people who can have joy in the midst of trouble. So that's the prayer. Verses 4 to 6 is the song. Sing to God, Sing praise to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. His name is the Lord, and rejoice before him. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Now, there's another way that can be translated. It's uh, the, the desert rider. Extol the desert rider. It's a, an image that's been used in poetry and songs. The rider on the storm. It's, if it's not to try an image for you, it's this tremendous storm, this tremendous wave. And if you like, God is able to surf it. And it's just carrying this whole idea of um, the clouds and the, the trouble, maybe even the difficulty but Jesus walks on the water and 
God is in control. His name is the Lord, is Yahweh. We are to sing praise to him. It's why singing is prayer is such a, a key part, of course, of our worship. But it's why singing is such a key part of our lives. I, I'm not sure how popular culture has changed uh, such a lot. But I grew up in a culture where people sang. We sang at school. Um, we sang, obviously, in church. Um, we did sing at football matches as, as well. Um, you sang in lots and lots of different contexts. Often, if you went to a pub, there would be people who would be singing. And I'm, uh, I wonder if we've become less a singing culture. Maybe it's not so easy to sing um, if Seems like a, co- a community thing, a collective thing. I mean, I know you can sing alone, and some of you probably should. But <laughs> oh no, I shouldn't have said that. But but in the shower or whatever, you will sing alone. But singing is a community. I mean, listening up here, I don't know what it sounded like to you, but as you were singing Psalm 68, it was lovely. It was lovely to hear different harmonies and voices and so on. And um, when David and the others were leading in the other songs as well, it's a key part of what we do because we are a singing people. And it's important that we take that seriously because we have a song to sing. And I do think in our culture as a a whole, there is a kind of joylessness. Um, And I wonder if one of the things that the church can give back to Scotland is that sense of song. But look what we sing about, who the Lord is. But I love this, verse 5, he's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. He sets the lonely in families. We sometimes forget that God sees the injustice and the poverty and the brokenness of our world. And that he does actually care and he does actually act upon it. Those who are biblical Christians are those who are concerned for the broken and for the widow and for the orphans. That's what James tells us is pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, that you visit the widows and orphans in their affliction and you keep yourself from being unspotted by the world. And you do not have to look far from this building or from your own home to see that brokenness. And we are not to be the people who talk about it, but we are to be the people who reflect our Father. I heard of a conference recently that was about working with the poor and helping the poor, and it's got all the jargon about the marginalization, or the marginalized rather, and the oppressed and the poor. The only thing that bothered me was that the conference was held in a luxury hotel like Glen Eagles. How does that make any sense? In what world does that make sense? But that's what happens. And kind of, dare I say it, what's called poverty porn is big business nowadays. And politicians always want to talk about it. But Christians are to be people who really care. And that's why we support Christians against poverty here. 
And that's why we pray for the work of CAP and for Bethany and for others. Because in all that we are doing, we are just reflecting our God who is a father to the fatherless. And then uh, he leads the prisoners out with singing. Again, it's just a, a wonderful image of a oppressed people, an imprisoned people being released and being able to sing. Verse 7 then, verses 7 to 10, this stanza I just simply call the leader. When you went out before your people, O God, when you marched through the wasteland, the earth shook, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel. You gave abundant showers, O God. You refreshed your weary inheritance. Your people settled in it. And from your bounty, O God, you provided for the poor. Unless God goes with us, all that we do is in vain. But when God goes with us, these three things occur. One is the earthquake, the shaking. It's a very dangerous thing to pray for God to be with us. It's a very dangerous thing to pray for God to work in our midst and to work in our land. Because for God to work in our land, it will involve a shaking. But it also involves these showers, the refreshing, the rain of the Holy Spirit, the gifts that uh, God provides to refresh his weary inheritance. And we have experienced that. We know what it's like when we sit at the Lord's table. That is what is happening. There are, again, as I was trying to say this morning, there are times in our lives when we are just weary and worn. And then the Lord comes and he refreshes us. It's like a refreshing shower. It's like um, receiving a really lovely meal and, and refreshing drink. And when God leads, when God goes before us, there is this earthquake, but there is also this refreshment. And then there is this bounty. <clears throat> From your bounty, O God, you provided for the poor. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. There are Christians, and this is one of the great advantages of reading good Christian biography, who throughout the ages have experienced poverty and yet also experienced God's great provision. We need not fear that the Lord's work will lack the Lord's money or that the Lord will not provide for his people. So we have the prayer, we have the song, we have the leader. Verses 11 to 14, the Lord announced the word and great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings and armies flee in haste. In the camps, men divide the plunder. Even while you sleep among the campfires, the wings of my dove are sheathed with silver its feathers with shining gold. When the Almighty scattered the kings in the land, it was like snow fallen at fallen on Zalmon. The Lord announced the word, and great was the company who published it. And I think the NIV is wrong here, actually, because it doesn't, for some reason, recognize that um, as the authorized version of the psalm puts it 
women who did stay at home did distribute the prey. And it was always, I was always a teenager when we sang that sometimes. I was thinking, what does that mean? Like the men go out and fight because we're the big strong guys and then we win. And then the women say, hey, we w- here's, the, here's the spoils. Well, it was ever thus. No, um, I don't think that that's the kind of idea here. But it is, does have this idea in this context and in this culture. To some extent, that's what did happen. In the camps, the, the plunder was divided. What's going on here? It's the word. The Lord announces. And the company of women who proclaimed it was great. The Lord proclaims and acts, and it shall be. And God's people, whether out on the battlefield, if you like, or whether at home, whether male or female, are people who announce, share what God has announced. You go throughout the Bible, and it's always the Word of God. It's always, it's creative, it's restorative, it's healing. It's the power of the Word. And, and, and in this passage, this image of, um, it talks about the wings of my dove are sheathed with silver, its feathers with shining gold, whilst they were sleeping. And it could be that this is referring to a trophy that was brought to them, or just the riches that God brings, but the key thing about it, whatever it is, the key thing about it is that it's God who brings it. It's God who works while they were resting. Forgive me um, for putting it this way, but maybe it's a little bit like Jack and the Beanstalk. Jack gets the beans and they get scattered and he wakes up in the morning and there's this, what happened while I was asleep? And when Paul was talking there about the CU and what they were trying to do in reach out, sometimes people can get quite discouraged because they think, well, here we are, we're sowing the seed and we're trying to break up the ground and we're not seeing a whole load of quote-unquote results. So it's lovely when the Chinese girl comes to the door and says, how do I become a Christian? But where are all the Scottish people? saying, how do I become a Christian? And you, it can be very discouraging trying to sow seed in this particular context. But this is what we're told how the gospel works. That we sow the seed, we live our lives, and who knows how God is working. We, we sow again, I'm sorry I keep referring to this morning, but how... Israel, God's people, thought that they were childless and alone. And then suddenly they're surrounded by this family. And they say, well, where did these come from? And God had been at work all the time. God's word will always accomplish that for which it was sent. Verses 15 to 18. The mountains of Bashan are majestic mountains. Rugged are the mountains in Bashan. Why gaze in envy, O rugged mountains, at the mountain where God chooses to reign? where the Lord himself will dwell forever. The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended on high, you led captives in your train. You received gifts from men, even from their bellies, that you, O God, might dwell there. 
The mountains of Bashan were great and majestic mountains. And yet, God says, his mountain is greater than them all. The mountain where he chooses to reign. And it's just, again, a reminder of the greatness of our God. The verse that gets used by Paul is verse 18. He took captives and he gave gifts. Ephesians 4, 7 says this, To each of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. A a quote from this verse. (coughs) Come back to it just in a second. Let me carry on with Ephesians 4. What does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Those of you who are astute and wide awake will look at this verse and you will notice he led captives in his training, gave gifts to men. But Psalm 68 doesn't say that. Psalm 68 says that God received gifts from men. So is this one of these many supposed contradictions within the Bible? No. What Paul does in Ephesians 4 is he quotes the Septuagint, the Greek version. Calvin says that he does this in order to accommodate the people because that's what the people would have been used to have had. But he also says he does it because there's actually no real difference. Because when Christ received gifts, what were those gifts for? For himself or Because Christ's people are in union with Christ, do we not also receive them? The close union, says Calvin, between Christ and the church mean that we receive the gifts that are given to God. I think that uh, the way that the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament is interesting. But the purpose and the point of it here is that Jesus descended, says Paul, in order to reach down to us, and he ascended, and he's poured out his Holy Spirit. He gives his gifts, and he's given these gifts to the whole church, (coughs) particular offices within the church, for example, apostles, prophets, evangelists. But all of us were working together to build up the body of Christ, because ultimately his is the victory that's where we are at. We are in the midst of a battle. We are sometimes in the midst of the desert. We are surrounded by enemies that seem like mountains. We see injustice in this world. We see wrong in this world. We see poverty amongst the Lord's people. We see illness. We see so much difficulty and trouble. And yet, what this song is telling us is what the whole of the Bible tells us, that the gates are opened wide 
for the victorious king to enter, and that king is Jesus. And we do share in his victory. We are already more than conquerors because we are on the Lord's side. I hope that as we sit at the Lord's table, we will remember that. And I hope that whatever your personal circumstances, that if you are a believer, please know that you are part of the people of God. I think sometimes we are far too individualistic about this. And we're saying, well, it's me and it's my walk with God and it's this and it's that. No, you're part. We saw this morning, you're part of the covenant people of God. And God will protect and God will keep his people. And we are to love one another and to care for one another and to forgive one another. We are, as we sit at the Lord's table, to recognize the body of Christ. And that means that we recognize what Jesus has done on the cross, but it also means that we look round and we recognize our Christian brothers and sisters. And those who we have resentments against, we forgive. We don't say, no, nah, I want to keep my resentment. We recognize that we are part of this covenant people whom the Lord gives these marvelous gifts to. The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? We cannot possibly be defeated. If you are not a believer, then I just simply ask, why not? It doesn't make any sense to stay away from the God who invites you so graciously and generously to himself. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, and it's a word that the people who received it originally would have wondered and would have grasped with amazement what you were saying. And for us, in the wider context of the New Testament revelation, it is even more amazing that you went out, you led your people through the wilderness, but that Jesus came into the wilderness to be with us, and not only to be with us and to teach us, not only to perform miracles, but to die for us. May we never lose the wonder of the cross. We pray, our God, that we would be a singing people, that we would be a people who are prepared to proclaim and share your word, that we would be a people who would follow you as our leader. We ask, O oh Lord, that as we uh, sit at your table, that you would encourage us and bless us in that. And for any who do not know you, draw near and enable them to see you in your name. Amen. We're going to sing uh, before the communion the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Vast Beyond All Measure, that he should send his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Let's stand and sing these words. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, 
please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.